Welcome to another episode of Reformation Roundtable. My name is Joe Stout, and I am pleased to bring you the audio from our fellowship night that took place on Sunday, March 14th, 2021. During this fellowship night, we had a great time. We sang songs, we recited the Nicene Creed, we had a time of confession, we also discussed covenant continuity, which is an incredibly critical idea for evangelical Christians to deal with and wrestle with. Uh, It was new for a lot of people, and it's the idea that there is one covenant that God makes, and it started with Adam, and it will complete or culminate in the unification of heaven and earth on the last day, when the dead are raised to life again and the final judgment. There is this one covenant, and it comes in various forms. So there is the Abrahamic covenant where God visits Abraham and makes a covenant with him that through Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And then God is continually renewing that covenant throughout history. With the coming of Christ, the old covenant has been renewed. And it's not a completely unique and novel covenant. It is now the completed, fulfilled covenant. And the the covenant promises of the Old Testament now dovetail perfectly into this new covenant. And the new covenant is better, and we're not looking to go back, but we also are not looking to ignore or um, abrogate or uh, nullify the covenant that God made with our fathers on Mount Sinai, that he made with our father Abraham, that he made with uh, our father David. All of those covenant promises are for God's people, and the church is God's people. So anyways, there's lots and lots of great discussion on this. It's an extremely important um, topic to work through, and I would really encourage you, if you haven't read chapter 4 of Doug Wilson's Standing on the Promises, that you read it and really wrestle with those uh, those ideas, because I'll promise you, this is one thing that a lot of evangel- evangelical Christians don't um, think about, or if they do think about, oftentimes they have a very antinomian um, response to the Old Covenant, meaning that they think, well, the Old Covenant is something that it matters, or it used to matter, but it doesn't really matter to us anymore, but that could not be any further from the truth. It does matter, and it informs the New Covenant in a huge way. So, Reformation Roundtable exists to plant a Reformed church in Lewis County. We're very, very close. I know I've been saying that for the past few weeks, but we um, have many, many families that are ready to become members of this new church. And as soon as we get 10 founding member families, we, we plan to, to start um, worship in earnest. Now, we are being planted by Trinity Church in Bothell, Washington. Trinity Church is part of the CREC, the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. They're the ones that are planting this church, and once we get 10 founding member families, we'll become a mission church. Now, on the 14th, we actually um, worked through what our name is going to be. We'll be kind of announcing that next week, so stay tuned for that for sure. If you are there, you'll know exactly uh, what the name's going to be. And we also We have fellowship nights on Sunday nights, and then we have discussion nights on Thursday nights, and I would encourage you guys to come to that. This is going live 
on Thursday, March 18th. And we're going to have a discussion night tonight. And we're going to talk about many things, pastoral candidates. We're going to be talking about um, uh, finances, how we're going to finance this church and, and the best ways of doing that. We're also going to be continuing to talk about bylaws and um, why bylaws are important. So if you've never come to a Thursday night discussion, I would really encourage you to come. That's enough for me. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to the audio of our fellowship night. And I hope you join us for this vision of planting a Reformed Church in Lewis County. If you'd like more information, head on over to lewiscounty.church. Enjoy the teaching. Thank you guys all for being here, and I've got a couple of announcements before we get started. Um, you all should have an order of service, and I think everybody should be fairly familiar with this order of service, but um, we're still calling this a fellowship night, but at the end of our fellowship night, I have a clipboard here that we're going to pass around, and each household gets a vote, and this is for the name of our church. We've got, we've got four names that kind of uh, made the, uh, the final runnings. They are Christ Church, Christ Covenant Church, Christ Reformed Church, and Reformation Covenant. So I don't expect you guys to remember all those, but, but what we're going to do is I'm going to pass this around, um, and you guys can, each household gets, uh, can put their name under the, under the, uh, the name they'd like to, to use. Um, I'll talk more about this. This will happen when we're all finished. With our, uh, with our worship time. So that's going to come up. And um, let's see. Before before we, uh, before we get started, the other thing I wanted to ask was, is there any, um, are there any additional prayer requests that we haven't been praying for in the past that we should, that we should um, ask Frank to include in his prayer? Um, Eliana. Yes, okay. So Mariah, yeah, that's right. Mariah Corbin, I should have had her on the list there, Dad. Sorry to send that to you. Uh, any other? Yes. Yeah, I'd like to propose that, and I'm sure that we're probably going to do this, but that until it is dealt with, that we continue to pray for abortion. Yep. The, uh, the elimination of abortion yes. each week. That's on that huge thing. Yep. That that was on that was on the, the list of. Uh, um, absolutely. Totally agree with Andrew. Anything else? How about Ed Wallace? He's our press. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think he um, did. He get put on a ventilator. Okay. Yeah. That's really really serious to, to go on that. So Ed Wallace. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Just uh, I know I've said this every week, uh, and so um, I'm going to say it again, just because it bears repeating. This is a liturgy that we're following. That's what the order of service is all about. Um, liturgy doesn't mean without heart or without feeling. It doesn't mean wooden. It doesn't mean robotic. It just means deliberate. It means intentional. It means that before we all gather together, um, someone, in this case it was me, but somebody put together um, the order of service for what scriptures are going to be read, who's going to be doing what, what the discussion is going to be, the songs that we're going to be singing. Uh, Andrew actually put together all the songs that we're going to be singing. He's going to be um, uh, playing, or he's going to be leading us. Um, that's all a liturgy is. Every church has one. Some are just more um, deliberate and self-aware than others. And what we practice here, and what we want to practice when we hit our 10 family critical mass, is we want to practice covenant renewal worship. 
So this is practice right now, but we want to practice covenant renewal worship. And that is, we have five C's, and you see them written in there. God calls us to worship. He calls us into his presence. Then we confess our sins, and he cleanses us from that sin. Um, <clears throat> after we've confessed our, our sin to him, and we've confessed our common faith, then God sanctifies us through consecration. Consecration means changing us more into the image of Jesus. Um, and then there's communion. It all leads up to the, to the peace meal with God the Father. Now, we're not a church yet. We are, we're just a, we're just a kind of a Bible study. It's a, it's a, a highly liturgical Bible study right now. <laughs> and, uh, and so we are waiting on the providence of God for communion. This would be where we actually have a session of elders that are overseeing the elements. And uh, so we wait on the Lord's providence for that. Like I said, we're waiting for 10 founding member families before we go to um, actual mission church status. After the piecemeal with God, God sends us back out into the world. He commissions us back out into the world to go and preach the gospel and baptize and disciple the nation. So that is what this is, and it's very corporate. Not the bad kind of corporate, you know, but the good kind of corporate, the togetherness of corporate, where we stand together where we raise our hands together, where we recite things together, where we even kneel together. And these are, these are get-tos, not got-tos. Do them as you're able. When we kneel, if you can kneel, that's great. If you can't kneel or you don't feel comfortable with kneeling, that's okay. That's no, there's no problem with that at all. If you see a little plus, that means we're going to stand together. Um, there's a little, um, uh, and then, then there's actually a part where we're going to be kneeling together, uh, and then there's going to be a part at the end where we raise our hands together. So those are just some... Uh, some things to keep, keep in mind. Um, we are going to do the Nicene Creed tonight. And uh, Kirby's going to lead us through that. And we use the word Catholic in it. And I put a little note in there, but I just want to reiterate, that does not mean Roman Catholic. When we talk about the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, we're talking about the Universal Church, not the Roman Catholic Church. We want nothing to do with Roman Catholicism here. Any questions before we get, get started? Okay. okay, so our meditation, we're going to start with our meditation. It comes from Psalm 33, verses 20 to 22. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we wait on you this evening... May we do so in the hope that comes from knowing that Christ has conquered the grave and that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world and in our hearts. We ask this in the good and strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please rise. Let us worship the triune God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen to God as he calls us into his presence from Psalm 33, verses 1 through 12. Shout for joy in the Lord, O ye righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. 
and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Pray with me. You, O God, are a God of joy, and it is with joy that you call us into your presence. May we approach you with joy and with reverence, fear, and awe as we worship the King by whose word the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing, Come Thou Fount. should be an insert there in the bulletin.
in the 33rd Psalm. That's what we just read for our call to worship. In verse number 12, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. It's no surprise that God has a chosen people, a son in whom he desires to give an inheritance. What is surprising is who that son is. In Psalm 33, verse 12, one would be forgiven for thinking that the word nation means Israel. But that is not the word used in this passage. In verse 12, the word used for nation is the Hebrew word goy, and it means Gentile. In other words, Psalm 33 is promising that the Gentiles who trust in God will be his chosen people and that they will be blessed. This promise dovetails perfectly with the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 22:18, when God promises all the nations, there's that word goy again, all the nations of the world would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. This promise of blessing does not come automatically or through presumption. There is a warning given just two verses earlier in Psalm 33. It says that the Lord brings the counsel of the nations, Goy, to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. So in verse 10, he is frustrating the plans of the people. And in verse 12, he is blessing the heritage of the people. So what's the difference between the Goy in verse 10 and the Goy in verse 12? Well, the answer is faith. Jesus promised, all that the Father give me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So as we enter in worship of the king, let us remember that it is by the gift of faith we are here. It is not by our own works, lest any man should boast. But it is by the good, gracious pleasure of the Father, who is seeking and redeeming a bride for his son, the church, a people whom he has chosen as his heritage. This reminds, of, reminds us of our need to confess our sins. And so as we prepare for our time of confession, we're going to be singing Psalm 23. The King of love, my shepherd is. The King of
Confessions just give you an opportunity to, uh, you know, this doesn't take the place of your weekly confessional. And you're not, I'm not expecting you to confess everything <laughs> in the 30 or 40 seconds that we pause, but it's just a time for you to offer up anything particular after we get done with the corporate confession. Um, then I will close this and then we'll rise and receive the assurance of pardon. So, uh, so if, you're, um, if you can, go ahead and uh, bow with me. And then let's confess our sins. Oh, wait, let me read the. Sorry. So, in Ephesians. Sorry, I had a mark and I just pulled my finger out of it. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything, everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Let's confess our sins to God together. Eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sins, and whose mercy we forget in the blindness of our hearts, Cleanse us from all our offenses, and deliver us from proud thoughts and vain desires, that with reverent and humble hearts we may draw near to you, confessing our faults, confiding in your grace, and finding in you our refuge and strength, through Jesus Christ your Son. for the assurance of pardon. the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Uh, people of God, hear the good news. 
Your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks be to God. Christian, what do you believe? We believe in one God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost and the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together worship and glorify, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his
Good evening. Tonight's reading is from Jeremiah 31, 1 through 4, and then 31 through 34. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again you shall adorn yourself with tambourines, and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Tonight's second reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the word of God. Thanks be to God. The next song we'll be doing will be Amazing Grace. We're going to do verses 1, 2, 3, and 6. We are omitting verse 4 and 5. Not because they aren't great, just because I don't have them on my sheet.
Sunday of prayer at Thanksgiving. And uh, one of the scriptures that uh, Joe had in your bulletin tonight is 2 Corinthians uh, verses 20 and 21, 20 through 22. Is it 20 through 22 or 20 through 21? 20 through 22. Okay. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What a great passage you go with tonight's uh, reading in the book as well. And I wanted to read as well 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, God of all that is good, uh, we just thank you for this gathering tonight, a gathering of fellow, fellow believers in Christ, for this fellowship that we might build each other up, and that we might sanctify ourselves uh, and work towards becoming your bride, spotless and blameless in the church. Thank you for all of the families, each, each individual and each family here, for everyone that makes this possible. We thank you, Lord, for our creation, how marvelous and wonderful it is. So many mysteries that we don't know how you, how you, made, how you made things work, um, that, that we can praise your glory in. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for life, the breath in us. Even as we are so frail, yet we are blessed by you. We know that though we are set in slippery places, even just at threads, snap away from ruin or destruction. You hold us and keep us by grace and through faith. We thank you for your refining circumstances in our lives and whatever they are. We know that trials or tribulations, whatever they are in our lives, Father, that they are for our good and ultimately your glory. We pray that we could remember that and we could give thanks and praise you in all of it. We thank you, Lord, for oversight of Trinity and we thank you for the help that Pastor Hatcher has offered us so far. And we just look, Lord, uh, to continued thanks and blessing upon that. And Father, we also thank you for the work of Joe and Thad and Andrew and others that are meeting on the Thursday nights and uh, the work of going through the nuts and bolts of the progress towards becoming a mission church. We just pray, Lord, that you would bless those efforts. Pray, Lord, that you would bless all the people involved and that you would just thank you, Lord, so much for everyone who helps to bring food and make this, make this an event. And we just pray, Father, that you would bless all of those things. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Matthew 7. Chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? 
Let's pray. Father, you have made yourself known from long ago in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways. And in these last days, you have spoken to us in your Son, heir of all things, and he is the exact representation of your nature. As we seek your blessing on the beginnings, the foundations of this mission church, our desire is to glorify you in this work. We ask for unity amongst us. We ask for wisdom from above. We ask for families new in the faith, families seasoned in your eternal truths. We ask that we will continue and grow in reverence and awe and wonder of you. As we pursue this course, we also bring before you some physical needs of some brothers and sisters. Um, the So family uh, who lost their patriarch, courage and comfort, uh, quite a few health needs of different uh, things. I don't know about them all, but to Andrew DeMullins, Judy Myers, Leslie Moog, Les Doyle, Ed Wallace, um, uh, Randy, who lost a brother also to COVID, uh, Mariah. Um, and then we, uh, we're also thinking kind of uh, maybe not as uh, much of a health need right here and right now, but the whole uh, idea of abortion, which has been going on for years, and, and you must uh, very much hate that, and we would pray, and hopefully we could even engage and do things that would be uh, helping to curb that, stop that. Each of these are different health needs, and there are others that aren't even mentioned. We ask that the peace you freely give would be bestowed on these people and others. You would graciously bless these needs, and we thank you already for the blessing. Uh, we have tribulations, and this gives us strong hearts to continue and to trust in you. As a body, we also pray, petition you, Father, for uh, Trinity Church in Bothell as they continue daily to serve and praise you. And we are thankful for their guidance, leadership, and prayer. Uh, they intercede on our behalf for this Lewis County uh, Church and planting. Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among men with whom you are pleased. We watch expectantly for you. We wait upon the God of our salvation. Our God will hear us. Amen. Amen. I have in the bulletin to stand up, but I want you guys to stay sitting down on, on, this, uh, on this next song. We're going to... Um, we're going to relook at a song that we introduced last Sunday, Psalm 124. And I want to encourage you guys that as you are learning new songs, to not worry if the emotion isn't necessarily all there right at the beginning. Um, a lot of times emotion follows familiarity. So when you're familiar with something and you know what to expect and you have pleasant memories associated with it, that's where a lot of the emotion or love of certain songs comes. And it's a good thing. It's how God made the world. But every song you love, at one point, you didn't know. And you had to learn it. And so as we are working on Psalm 124, 
Think about that because it is a, it's not the easiest song to sing. It's not a terribly hard song to sing, but it's got, it's got some strange rhythms to it. But this is the very word of God that we're singing. This is a metrical psalm, and it's worth learning. And when God's people sing God's word, we are very dangerous against the domain of darkness. So we're going to sing verse 1 three times, just like we did last week. At the end of our third time through, we'll go into verse 2, or uh, line 2, and then line 3, and we'll, we'll finish it. So we'll, we'll sing that first line three times, just as we get ourselves familiar with it. Let Israel now sing thankfulness That is the Lord and not a right maintained And if the Lord did not with us remain When cruel men against us rose to strive
All right, so if you've got your books, we've been going through Standing on the Promises, a handbook of biblical childbearing. And there's several reasons why we're doing this. Um, obviously, there's plenty of families in here that are actively raising kids. But there's another reason for it, too. And it's something that's going to come up in the book tonight uh, in a big way. Uh, and that is that um, children are an important group within the church. And I say that um, knowing very well that I just understated it. Children are an important group. They're an extremely important group. Um, but, they, but, they, but the scripture looks at children as part of the church. And so in chapter 4, we're going to be looking at something called covenant continuity. And um, within this chapter on covenant continuity, there were four sections. Um, there was the covenant continuity between the Old Covenant, or the Old Testament, and the New Testament. There was the covenant nature of Israel. These are the different sections within the book. Um, there was the curses in the New Covenant. And then finally, it was the status of children in the New Covenant. And so we're going to start with, of course, section one, which was the covenant continuity between the Old and New Covenant. Um, and so, you know, continuity is one of those words that we might not even know what it means, really. And so Doug has a definition in here, but I wanted to tell you guys what um, uh, Daniel Webster, uh, def how he defined it in 1828. He says, continuity is defined as an uninterrupted connection. It's a cohesion or a close union of parts. So continuity, covenant continuity, this is how Doug defines it. He says, when we consider God's dealings, actions, commandments, and promises with his people in the time of the Old Testament, we should believe that his word to them remains in force for us unless he alters the application of it himself in further revelation. So in other words, whatever God said in the Old Covenant, that still applies to us unless he has somehow altered it in a major way or in a, in a very definitive way way in the New Covenant. He, of course, uh, he doesn't talk about this in the book, but a good example would be um, the law in the Old Testament re regarding dietary restrictions. Um, why don't Christians follow those anymore? Because it's been revealed to us in the New Covenant that all foods have been made clean. That's one of several things. Uh, Jesus was the final sacrifice, and so in the New Covenant we're told that we no longer need to make any sacrifices because Jesus was sacrificed once and for all. But if the New Testament doesn't tell us that an old covenant promise has been done, or that an old covenant promise is no longer applicable to us, we should assume, as Doug here says, um, that, uh, that it remains in force for us unless he's altered it. Um, so I had some kind of main ideas in this first section. Um, one of the major ideas in this first section of covenant continuity between the old and the new, actually, before I get to the main ideas, Chapter 4, if you haven't read Chapter 4, I get it. You know, we're busy, and sometimes you come to these things and you don't quite have everything read. If you haven't read it yet, I would encourage you to make sure you read it, because it might be the most foundationally important chapter in this book. If, if we don't get covenant continuity down right, then none of this stuff makes sense. If there's a big dividing line between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and never the twain shall meet, then everything we're talking about here is really irrelevant. Because Old Covenant promises and New Covenant promises don't have any relationship to each other. 
So this is a really foundational chapter. So if you haven't read it, I would really encourage you to do it. So I had one, two, three, four. I have five major ideas in this first section under covenant continuity between old and new. And I'm going to give one, and then I'm going to open it up and see what you guys think. Some of the major ideas that you guys had. And if it's super quiet, just know I can keep on talking. <laughs> so the first, the first major idea I had is that faithful believers in the Old Testament and faithful believers in the New Covenant are members together of one people. Okay? So our fathers went through the Red Sea. Our fathers wandered in the desert. Our fathers received the law on Mount Sinai. That is who we are. Those are our people. That's our history. It's not of a different people, and we're some other people of God's. We're the same people. And, and that is, that is uh, Romans 11 talks about there being one tree. And that one tree, there's one tree, and it's Israel. There's different branches on that tree. There's natural branches that have grown out naturally. And there's branches that have been grafted in, and they are real branches indeed. Um, and there even might be branches that are cut away. But the tree is Israel, and it's one tree. So that's like a major idea. And there's tons of controversy on that idea alone. But I, I'd love to hear what you guys thought, some of the things that uh, kind of really jumped out at you in this first section under the covenant continuity between the Old and New Testament. I think the, uh, the tree analogy, me growing up an apple orchard really strikes home with me because you know I, we, we often grafted branches into a tree. In fact, apple trees, when they grow up from a seed, they don't, they don't grow up the same apple that you plant, you know, the, the seed came from. And so you, you have to graft on the branch that you want. And it, that, that grafting, the cool thing is when you graft a branch into a tree, it um, becomes a part of the tree. And that, I mean, the roots of the tree is, I mean, it, it, there's a connection that it's, there's nothing different about that branch. It's a part of the tree. And it's, that's a powerful image when you think about that we can trace our family history all the way back to, well, to Adam, but I mean, to, especially to Abraham, we look to him as our spiritual father, you know, but yeah. there's that sense that we can trace our, our spiritual family history back to Abraham in the sense, the same way that a branch grafted into a tree, it goes all the way down to the roots. It's connected from, it's not just connected to the one branch it connects to, it's all the way down through the trunk to the roots and the whole works, so, yeah. And if, and, and if that grafted branch or the natural branch stopped giving fruit, what do you guys do with it? Cut it off and burn it. <laughs> you cut it off and you burn it. <laughs> but it's but the tree itself stays. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good, Dad. I I thought when I was when I was kind of reading uh, the I think having grown up with the, the Christian faith and in particular in the United States where we tend to hyper value individualism. Um, I had never really put much stock into the idea that um, the arid idea that genetics could play a role in my salvation. And as I'm kind of reading through this, it was it was something that oh, this was this was clearly, and there are some uh, cultures maybe even today that uh, own that that own that idea. And so I thought that that was something that was interesting, and also to kind of dovetailing what Dad was saying, um, the, uh, the idea that we have a historical record of our fathers in the faith, and this chapter actually made me feel a lot more connected biblically to right. 
the uh, to the Old Testament characters as, hey, they're part of my genealogy, yeah. my spiritual genealogy, but there was a, yeah. definitely much more of a familial connection that I had when, uh, when I was kind of reading this part. I love it. Yeah, that was something sort of that I, I had a thought too when I was, I was reading this was, I think a lot of the church tends to be a little um, abandoning of the Old Testament sometimes. Um, because it's like, well, what does that mean to us? Like, it's good to know that, but that's Israel, you know, and we're under Christ. And I think sometimes people kind of forget that matters because it's like, like um, Andrew was saying, it's our spiritual lineage. Yeah. One of the one of the great promises that Doug does a good job of highlighting is um, there. It's the idea that Israel, genetic Israel, ethnic Israel, um, was not abolished in the New Covenant. Um, Israel, as it was, um, had a lot of apostasy within it, and Jesus is constantly railing against the apostasy in Israel at the time. You see two times where Jesus is ever amazed. There's only two, there's only two instances where Jesus is ever amazed in the New Testament. One is that the unbelief of Israel. He's always amazed at how quick they are to not believe. And then the other time that he's amazed is at the belief or the faith of Gentiles. He's always amazed at the belief of Gentiles, the faith of Gentiles, at the unbelief of Israel. But Israel was not abolished in the New Covenant. She has been greatly expanded under the New Covenant. So faith is still the requirement. The tree is Israel. To be in the tree still is the same requirement that it always has been. And that is faith. Uh, but now, instead of encompassing uh, a small tribal group, it encompasses the whole world, which was always the, the, the promise that God made to Abraham, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through his seed. One of the things he also brought out in this that I thought was really interesting, I hadn't thought about it before, is that in Galatians 1 through 5, it's a famous passage on the law and our relationship to the law. Um, and it talks about how is the, the child in, in the Old Covenant is seen as like a slave, like they're, they're, they're a slave to the law, and that under Christ, under the New Covenant, that child has matured. But it's not a new person. It's just a grown-up person. It's the same person, but now under Christ. Now it's no longer the law that is leading us. It's Christ that's leading us. The law hasn't gone away, but Christ is now the one that is the, that is where we look to. And uh, I thought that was that was really good. It, it, you know, um, the, under the new covenant, Israel is now grown up and matured into his inheritance. But he's still the same person. I thought that was really, really good. I heard a sermon on this once, and I, and I looked into it a little bit. But in, in the Roman culture, uh, a son was the heir to the, his father's you know, all of it young, but he didn't he didn't really have any power until he became of age. And so while he was younger he actually had to answer to often like a slave that was you know it wasn't right. there was there's people that were had had no inheritance that were over, under you know he the overseer. to, overseers, right. yeah. And yeah. so that's it's likening that onto like the law is saying, you know, we have complete and, and so I, I think it's an interesting thing that even even under the law we, they were still heirs to the, the same thing that we're talking about now, that before Christ came, that 
that all that were living in Israel were heirs to the crown. Yeah. Um, just like you know, we claim we are now. So I, I, I'm just saying that the New Testament applies to the Old Testament. The Old Testament applies, and it goes both ways in a sense. That there's, it's not just uh, that the Old Testament carries into the New Testament. It's, and I, I, when I was reading this, it reminded me that you know, it's easy to think of because we have an Old Testament and a New Testament to think an Old Covenant and a New Covenant and think they're kind of separate things that apply to different situations. But the, you know, Christ talks about fulfilling the Old Covenant and, and being that really the, the New Covenant is, is, the, is pursuing the same thing that the Old Covenant did. It's not a different thing. It's not like, well, this messed up, so I got to do a new one. Or this, is, this is pursuing something different and we're kind of changing our direction here. It really is, but it's under the power of Christ's death and resurrection now, instead of the the system that was set up. Right. So, but it's still pursuing the same thing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that first section, covenant continuity between the old covenant and the new covenant? In the second section, the covenant nature of Israel, uh, Doug is tying into what uh, what Andrew was just talking about, um, and. The, the major idea here, I think I only had one, one real major one in this one, and that is that the relationship God had with the Jews at that time was not one of ethnicity or genetic connection. So it wasn't their DNA. It wasn't their ethnicity. It was one of God's covenant-keeping love. And so God's connection to Israel, to ethnic Israel at that time, wasn't because of their genetics or because of their heritage. It was because he is a covenant-keeping love. The connection was via him. It was via his covenant. And this is why, this was, I thought this was really insightful, this is why John the Baptist says that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from stones. Genetics don't matter at all. Ethnicity doesn't matter. What matters is your covenantal connection to Christ. And it's there through faith. Do you, is, your, is that connection through faith there? That's how you're connected. Um, and then he has this quote, he says, It's not enough to say that a Jew cannot be a Christian without Christ. The Bible teaches that a man cannot be a Jew without Christ. And this really connects back to what you were saying, Dad, about how the Old Covenant looking forward to the New and the New Covenant looking back on the Old, it's, it's all overseen by Christ. And of course, this is new and this is better, and this is, this is the fulfillment of all of those promises uh, in Christ. But, um, one of the things I thought would be interesting to kind of think about in this section, Covenant Nature of Israel, is that our children, our children are born into Christian home, and, and into a Christian home, and we're going to get to this under the status of covenant of children in the New Covenant. What is the status of children in the New Covenant? So be thinking in your mind, if the covenant nature of Israel was not one of ethnicity or genetics, how, what is anything different now? Is the covenant connection that our kids have to Jesus, is that there because of ethnicity or genetics? And to ask the question is, is to answer it. Uh, any other thoughts on uh, the covenant nature of Israel, that particular section? I think this kind of, um, I think this kind of inspired me to think about the mission work that needs to happen in modern day Israel. Um, because I think there's, in some evangelical circles, there's almost like this two path idea where it's like, yeah, you can be a Christian or you can be a Jew. 
in the sense that you're like denying that Jesus was the Messiah. And I think that when we see that the need for continuity and that, that Jesus is simply the continuation of the same thought, how important it is that our, yeah, how important all mission work is, but in particular, those who have a portion of it that are missing out on that blessing from being able to experience that. And so I, um, and, and there's a remnant there that are holding real hard and real fast to that. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway. Okay. Yeah, good thoughts on that. Okay, section three is curses in the New Covenant. Um, that's a, it's an interesting one for sure because when we look back on the Old Covenant, we see you know blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And then we think, okay, this is the New Covenant, and so God's nice now. It's like, like he wasn't nice before, uh, or like now he's going to wink his eye at our sin or our disobedience and things like that. And nothing has changed. God is immutable. He doesn't change. And so the same God that made the laws on Sinai is the same laws, is the same God who um, brought Christ to us and said, and who's, who told us, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Um, and so there was a couple major ideas. One, um, Doug is, was very careful to say that no one truly regenerated by the Spirit of God can ever fall away from Christ. So there's, there is true eternal security for those found in Christ. And we should cling to that eternal security. We should, we should know that I'm not doing anything to deserve my salvation. I won't do anything to deserve salvation. And as John MacArthur said, if you could, lose your, if you could do something to lose your salvation, you would. Um, so so that, that's like the big thing to keep in mind. But now we're going to talk about curses in the New Covenant. So professing Christians, this is, this is, the, point, this is the point that uh, Doug's making. And he's pulling his biblical text from 1 Corinthians 10. 1 through 6. Professing Christians, now there's an emphasis on the word professing. Professing Christians can and do fall away, and when they do, they are falling not from a position of rank unbelief, but rather they're falling into covenantal unfaithfulness, as so many Jews had previously done. And this is important. When an atheist um, or some pagan or heathen who never knew Christ, um, they are, they are, they never knew Christ, and there is no, you know, there is only one path to self to God through salvation, and that's through Jesus. But when somebody professes Christ, when somebody has been brought into the covenant with Christ, and then they fall away, they are falling into covenantal unfaithfulness. For the heathen, the atheist, the pagan, they never were brought into a covenant where there were blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. But for professing Christians, we have been. We make a covenant with God, um, and if we fall away from that, we're not just falling away in the same way an atheist would. Um, we are falling away. We are falling into covenantal unfaithfulness, and there is a difference. It's pretty controversial, but he he uses First Corinthians ten, where he talks about God's chosen people, the Jews, in the wilderness, and he says God was not well pleased with them. And um, we, can, we can go there and we can read 1 Corinthians 10, but the, the major idea is that these were God's chosen people. These were covenant, professing believers, and yet God was not well pleased with them, and they, most of them, ended up staying in the wilderness. Um, 
because they died there. What do we think about that? Professing Christians can and do fall away. And they're falling into covenantal unfaithfulness. Is that a helpful distinction? Do we feel like that's not a helpful distinction? That's, that's certainly the case Doug's making, but I'd love to hear from you guys. I know he makes the distinction you know, that a regenerate believer is not going to lose their salvation. Not gonna, so I, I feel like it kind of clouds that a little bit, clouds that understanding to say that a professing, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you just have to be succinct in what you're saying is someone who claims Christ but is unregenerate. Mm. You know, they, they're going to fall away. Right. Yeah, so if I'm understanding you correctly here, you're saying eternal security is somehow clouded to think that professing Christians <coughs> can fall away from Christ. I think that that would cloud it a bit. I think it muddies the waters a bit. <laughs> yeah. Especially if people are, are coming into this concept as something new. Yeah. Well, I feel like professing is a little different than truly being a regenerate Christian, though, too, because I can profess to be a chicken, but I'm not really a chicken. Hmm. So, like, you sure? <laughs> um, unlike Paul said, if they leave us, they were not of us. You know, so I, I think that people, you know, I think the church is full of people who profess to be Christians who are not, and at times they leave. And so Doug's, Doug's point there is that those people who are unregenerate and are professing to be believers are somehow different than pagans, atheists, Muslims, Jews, people who, who never were in covenant with God to begin with. We don't, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I think for us, as Reformed folks, we, we embrace with joy the doctrines of eternal security, and we should. You know, when Christ saves you, you are saved indeed. He'll never lose you. Christ cannot lose a Christian. And that is a that's a glorious truth indeed. But these the but the um, where's my Bible? I can't hold this book up. <laughs> my Bible. If I had my Bible with me, the, the the warnings that you find in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, but with the warnings you find about um, unfaithfulness within the covenant, they have to mean something. And so that's kind of Doug's wrestling with that in the book. He's wrestling with what does it mean to fall away from not your position of regenerate of a regenerated heart. No one truly regenerated can fall away. But here we are, finite creatures walking on God's green earth, and we can trust God to be faithful to us. But we also have to remember that we keep our eyes on Christ. We look to Christ for in faith, and we won't ever be lost. But the moment we start taking our eyes off of Christ. That is when these warnings mean a great deal to us. So I, I, think that's, uh, I think that's an important distinction, to, at least to be aware of, that it's not, like the, it's not like the warnings against apostasy are irrelevant to us. They're very relevant. And they're not there to make us doubt our own salvation. They're there to make us work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Maybe I, I can pose a question. Sure. Clarification, because I, I guess I'm, I'm still kind of struggling with: Can an unregenerate person participate in covenant practice? Is that is that is that possible to be un, to put themselves under the covenant? Because what what I what I I'm kind of I guess the thing that I'm kind of trying to wrap my mind around is. 
in Revelation, it talks about how uh, Christ is basically spitting out lukewarm water, right? The lukewarm believer. And you, it's almost as if there's like this other layer, other penalty for, hey, you're going to be evil. Just straight up be evil. You're going to be my follower. Be my follower. But don't be this in-between thing because you're actually bringing additional judgment on yourself and declaring something that you're actually not for maybe a personal gain, um, you know, of some kind. Of, I don't know. It, yeah. Is, is that, I, that's probably not making much sense, much like last time when I was trying to no, I, on these ideas. But, you know, can, can you be part of the covenant and not be regenerate? No, so, it's still, so we, we just need to be clear on a few things. He talks about a professor. So a professor is kind of like uh, Spencer was saying. Anybody can act like something. Mm -hmm. So just because you do a few of the things in covenantal worship or Baptist worship, whatever you want to come up with. And in Hebrews uh, 10, 26, it clearly says, whoever wrote that book. <laughs> For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And what they're saying there is knowledge is not a salvation uh, word. Knowledge is just knowledge. And so what's happening is, is that what is left for you to become a believer, if you've sat around it, been part of it, acted like you're part of it, I mean, it's over, not because it's the unpardonable sin, but that there is nothing left to draw you into the family of God. Whereas if you go out on the street and there's somebody in there unregenerate and they haven't, I mean, they have opportunities to hear all this stuff and maybe they'll respond, maybe they won't. We know God can control that too. But uh, but just because you preach, just because you're part of communion, it's, you're still just a professor hmm. if you're in that. So you're participating, but you're not part of it. So are you bringing on covenant? So, so who are the covenant curses being applied to? I guess because I would totally think that the, I think the, yeah. rege the regenerate the regenerate person has their salvation found in Christ, mm. and I understand that some of these you know some of these covenantal curses yeah. are temporal things, right? They're sometimes in cases God's disciplinary tools to move you back in line, but at the same time there are also seem to be eternal consequences for masquerading. Well, so I guess, I guess that's my, I guess uh, that's, yeah. in addition to that, Frank, thank you for the clar clarity on that part. I'm there so, for you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, man. <laughs> so I think in, when you speak of the churches in Revelation, mm -hmm. the hot and the cold, I think most of the time it says you lost your first love. And so there's something mm -hmm. about getting really distracted mm -hmm. and, um, and finding another belief mm -hmm. that leads you to disappear. That's good. So, and then if you read in Second Peter, um, he's really harsh about if you lose your faith, mm -hmm. uh, you lose your salvation. There's no going back. Mm -hmm. It's kind of scary. Charles, thank, thank you, Judy. Yeah. That's really that's helpful. Yeah. Charles, go ahead. We're reading a book, um, and there's a guy in there who professes to be a Christian, goes to church every week, but really he's a murderer, a thief, and an adulterer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so 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 people can definitely masquerade. There's no question about that. Within the church, we know there is apostasy, and that per the people who apostatize are apostatizing from 
something. So let's look at uh, let's look at First Corinthians ten one through six. Um, Paul says he, now he's talking about God's covenant people. Okay, he's not talking about he's not talking about anybody but God's covenant people. These are visibly God's covenant people that have been circumcised, and they bear the mark of the covenant. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. So I think what we have in 1 Corinthians 10 is an example of God's covenant people who um, fall away from God, and God is not pleased with them, and they are not regenerate. We won't see those people in heaven. That's, that's the way I'm reading this. Now, other people, obviously, that's, uh, that's, we, we can, we're debating that. But I see this as being there's a difference between God's, God's covenant people, those, those who bear the mark of circumcision or in the New Covenant, those who bear the mark of baptism, those uh, God's covenant people, and God's regenerate people. So that's the whole idea between the visible church and the invisible church. The invisible church are the regenerate. Everybody in the invisible church will be saved. But we can't. We, with our eyes, can't see who the, vis- who the invisible church is. All we can see is the visible church, those who have been brought in by, um, by God's covenant, keeping Love and so he's lead, Doug's leading up to something here. He's he's leading up to the idea that parents who bring children up in uh, in the Christian covenant must know these things. They must know the the warnings against apostasy um, and not be covenantally presumptuous. So once again, we can't rely on our genetics. Just because you're a Christian and your wife's a Christian doesn't mean that your kids are automatically going to become Christians. Now. My guess is that's not going to be our, as a group, temptation. We're not going to probably be tempted, tempted to think that way. But for some people, maybe if, you're, um, if you've grown up in covenant theology, you can get pretty lazy. It can kind of lead you to become apathetic because, hey, my kids are in, <clears throat> my kids are in the covenant. What do I got to worry about? Charles, you have something you want to add? What does regenerate mean? So regenerate would be, yeah, regenerate, that's a good question. Regenerate would be the idea of um, Christ taking away your heart of stone, in giving you a heart of flesh. When we talk about Jesus living in your heart, we're talking about the Spirit of Christ indwelling you. And when, G- when the Spirit of Christ indwells you, you're a new person, and you will never lose that. You'll never, you'll never fall away from God as that. Um, yeah, Maya. So under that kind of definition, so you're saying that not everyone in the covenant has the Spirit living inside. Correct. Yeah. So I'm just, I guess I'm a little confused because I thought that you were just saying, I must have heard this wrong, but that, that everyone, no one in the covenant could fall away. And then you're saying that being in the covenant is not the same thing as being I think we're disagreeing. You're right. They said two different things. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's just, it's like I said, we're, we're kind of, we're working through this. We're kind of debating this. That's why it's not a sermon. <laughs> we're interacting with it together. I, I, I think I probably have a different conviction than, um, uh, than my dad does. And, and that's. Well, I, I didn't understand uh, what Maya said there exactly. She, she was saying that your, your case was that if you're in the covenant, 
with God, if you're in a covenant with God, no, you can't fall away. That. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I, I used Andrew's word professor. If you're a professor of, of being a Christian, that gotcha. just means you claim. But if you aren't really regenerate, yes. so I, there, there's no disagreement. I mean, what kind of a kid did I bring you up to be? <laughs> well, thank you, Maya, for, for clarifying that. Because I did yeah, think you were I said that too, long, I, I apologize. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can't believe it. Well, I think the distinction is who's in the covenant, maybe. I don't yeah, it was the covenantal word. It's the covenantal word is the problem. Right. Like, are you, I think the question is, is are you in, only in the covenant if you've been regenerate, or can you be in the covenant without being regenerate? That's the question. That and, and that's where the discussion between the visible church and the invisible church comes up. And often, we take these, we take these warnings, and we say, oh, well, that's, that doesn't apply to us because we're regenerate. But it does apply to us because as long as we're breathing, we need to be keep fixing our eyes on Christ in faith. That's that's in knowing that our salvation is not by what we're doing, but that we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that is, and so this covenantal presumption, as we go into section four, we have to guard against because there are some great promises made to our kiddos. Um, and in fact, if, if if you guys are good moving into section four, unless you guys want to say something else, we can we can segue into section four, which is the promises made to kids in the new covenant. Uh, but does anybody else have anything to say on the, the curse of the new covenant? I don't I don't want to zoom past any of this stuff. Well, maybe Luke was right; it, the whole thing was confusing. <laughs> <laughs> We're so clouded. Okay, so yeah, go ahead. Say the laws of God. And I know you're not saying this, but I don't. Anyone that is breaks the laws of God, there is consequences. Yeah. Whether you in the covenant, out of the covenant, professing, not professing. I mean, I think there is a there are laws that have consequences. Right. And I I just want to make sure we're clear on that. I, I guess the distinction, the professing, to me, what a professor does, not a professor. <laughs> but a professor, no, I can't say it right now. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have made that attempt. But, um, professing. Yeah, professing, what it, what it does is brings extra attention to itself. Because I stand up and say, I am one of Christ. Now I am putting myself under church discipline. I'm putting, you know, because I would not go to a non believer and say, hey, how come you aren't act acting like a Christian? You know, I mean, they'd say, because I'm not, you know, obviously. But, but I think a, someone who professes to, to follow Christ have put themselves into. Now, you're calling that they've been put in under the covenant. I, would say, I wouldn't call that the covenant, but, so that's, I think, where the disagreement comes in. But I do agree that it puts them in a different position. Yeah. Now they, are, they have set up a standard for themselves that we can call them to and that God is going to call them to. Sure. I mean, because they're saying out loud, I am a follower of Christ. Right. And then, therefore, you need to act like a follower of Christ. It's like it's additional condemnation. Good, good stuff there. So we're not going to be presumptuous. Our children that are born to us, there are promises that God made about them, and we should believe them. Um, here's a major idea in, in section four. Children of at least one believing parent are holy. Um, that is from uh, Corinthians. Paul makes that case. Uh, he talked, he's making the case about uh, in within the context of marriage, if if um, as long as one of the believe, as long as the non-believing spouse desires to stay with you, that's fine. Don't don't leave them. Um, but that your children are holy of even just one believing spouse. Now, 
what holy doesn't mean is it doesn't mean perfect. Doesn't mean doesn't mean that they don't sin. It just means that God sees them as set apart from pagan kids, from Muslim kids, from atheist kids. They're they're different. Your kids in the new covenant are di- the kid. God sees them in a different way than He sees the children uh, that are not with that are not covenantally connected with Him. Um, and that these children, uh, these infants even, are one of the subgroups of the church to be taught along with the rest of the saints. So the book of Ephesians, Paul starts it off by talk, talking about to the saints in Ephesus. And he goes along the line and he talks about uh, the things that you are in Christ. And then he gets into the, the second half and he starts giving out commands. Uh, to husbands, do this. To wives, do this. To bond servants, do this. To masters, do this. To children, do this. Why, does, why are children supposed to do this? Because it's the, it's the one commandment with a promise. The fifth commandment, honoring your father and mother, is a commandment with a promise attached to it. And so, just like the little Jew kids got those promises in the Old Covenant, all the little Christian kids get those promises in the New Covenant. And they also can disobey the covenant in the New Covenant. Or in, they can also disobey this command in the New Covenant. And there are consequences for that. Uh, but the new covenant does not destroy the pattern of faithful covenantal families in the old covenant. So in the old covenant, people were expected to raise their children up as Israelites. That's why they circumcised them on day eight. Long before they could ever make a profession, they, they were to treat them as Israelites. Um, and one of the, and so the, the new covenant, it's not like the new covenant upends that connection, that connection between raising your children up and faithful covenant succession. And in fact, one of the promises was restoring the father-child relationship. And we see this in Luke, uh, in Luke 1, uh, 17. Let me just read this to you because it's such a beautiful, such a beautiful promise. Uh, Luke 1, 17 says, He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to their children. And so in the new covenant, um, even more so are the hearts of the fathers to be towards and united with their children and raising them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, yeah, got a couple other big ideas in there, but I don't want to, uh, I don't want to hog all the time here of, of, of talking. I'd love to, love to hear from you guys on the status of children in the new covenant. Do we feel like there's a difference? Some people don't. Some people see little Christian kids or little kids of Christians as no different than the kids of non-believers. They're just short little heathens until they get to a point where they can profess faith and then they can be regenerated with the rest of us. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly not saying that kids don't need, kids in a Christian family don't need to be regenerated. They do. They still need to follow Jesus. They still need to claim Christ as king, just like a little pagan kid would need to, but that there is covenantal privileges attached to uh, Christian kids that the rest of the world world's kids don't get. We agree? We disagree? Yeah, this is the part that I struggle with. Because um, I want to agree with you on the covenant thing. I don't know how to work that out. To me, the covenant is for the people of God and not just anyone that claims to be people of God. Um, but the New Testament definitely talks about that children being covered by their believing um, parents um, and that's where I've rested my whole life on, that I'm raising my kids as Christians because they are, because they're under me. Um, 
but I've never said it because they're they've already entered into the covenant because they haven't yeah. been regenerate yet, or you know I don't know when they regenerate. I, they all are now, I believe, but I don't I don't know you know when or where that happens. But, sure. um, but I think I think that there definitely is a call for us to raise our children yeah. for as believers, not as we're not evangelizing them. They are under our family and our family believes and that's we've always talked to them about. Right. This is your identity. Your identity is in Christ. Yeah. Amen. Joe, I really like this connection between children are holy mm -hmm. and then we are to become like children. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right. a really neat connection or circular yeah. reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. That was I had that as a note. <laughs> you know, yeah, bless. You know, I, I struggle with this a bit um, because I have a problem sometimes defining. I need to define the terms well for myself to understand the distinctions and all that. You know, I, I do believe that, you know, there's what I call the splash effect where, you know, the people, you know, Paul said in Romans 9, not everyone who's descended from Abraham is of Israel. Not all of them are. But they did enjoy the blessings of God in the midst of the Exodus and all of that. When the plagues, when the plagues came, if you were part of the Israel, you know, part of Israel, part of the nation there, you enjoyed some immunity from those plagues and all of that. So you did get blessed, and there is a blessing associated with that. But not everybody in that community or in that camp were of Abraham, you know, of right. Isaac. So you know, there's kind of I, I wrestle with this, yeah. you know, um, distinctions just so I understand them, and I, I do have a bit of a trouble. I do have sure. a problem sometimes, um, but I believe. I mean, look at look at the children in this room now, that ha that are blessed to have parents who love them with this godly, unconditional love, and how that's going to affect them, yeah. and. You know, whether or not takes God takes that heart of stone and makes it alive, that's up to God. Mm. But in the meantime, the kids are getting loved on, they're getting nurtured, they're getting stroked, they're getting everything yeah. that they did. It's such a blessing. So, Amen. anyway. And, and you can believe God's promises when he says, I'll be a God to your children and to your yeah. children's children. Yeah. You can believe that. Right on. And you don't presume anything on that, but you believe it's the truth. The, the last uh, major idea um, that uh, was really, really good, I thought, uh, this is really important, I think, for us to be thinking about, is that the growth of the church in the normal mode of evangelism uh, and baptism in the New Testament was household by household. And so when we think about evangelism, we want to evangelize the whole world. Jesus told us to go into all the, all the, all the world and preach, preach the gospel, baptizing, baptizing them, discipling them. But it starts in our home. And if we're neglecting our home, we have no business going out and trying to do anything with the world because the primary mode that this goes is household by household. It goes through the family. And, and that, I think, is just, it's not at a, the expense of the rest of the world. It's just if we don't have our priorities straight, then we're not going to bless the world like we think we are. Um, so that's, that's what I had for... Um, our, section, or our discussion here on uh, chapter 4. Anybody else have anything they'd like to add to it before we uh, close up? 
just wanted to read from Malachi because this is yes. a verse that um, our son's name is Malachi, and this is a verse that I have prayed often in regards to him and the rest of our children. It says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with full destruction. Um, I mean, that's a promise that that's talking of looking ahead to, you know, that he is going to turn the children, children to their parents and parents to their children. That, and it's yeah. a really important. Yeah. It, you know, if it doesn't happen, there's serious consequences. <laughs> so I just, yeah. that's something that I pray, you know, that I like the name a lot, but I like that verse also. In that, mm. um, uh, right. That's, just, that's um, Malachi 4, uh, 5. Malachi 4, 5, good. All right, great. If um, when we become a mission church, this would be the time. This is like the God is, is building us up, and generally this would be a well, not generally. This would be a, a sermon that would be as opposed to a discussion. Um, but this would be we'd be leading up to communion, um, where God feeds us Jesus. We have this peace meal with with Christ, and of course we're not going to do that today. We're waiting on the providence of God to to send um, to send the people that He wants to be a part of the foundation of this church, of the, the founding members. Um, and so we're going to go right on to the commission. This is where God sends us back out into the world. And so if you would stand, I've got a charge for you and a benediction. Now go back into the world believing this promise, a promise given to Israel before Christ's advent, and a promise that now belongs to you in Christ as he is the yes and amen of every promise in God. Here is the promise. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's, let's, uh, let's sing the doxology. Praise God.